This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. G'day. It's the afternoon on a, just a day that I say to you, and you, and you, you in the car, that this is just one of those great Melbourne days to be alive, and I'm looking across at the beaming, beatific Maddie Stedman, who's ridden in. Hello, Cameron. Yeah, what a nice day for a On ride. the green flyer. On the bike. On the bike, You've yes. been running around the green room uh, making all our guests very happy. No, not really. Just settling everyone in. They look all right, I yeah. guess. They look happy. Yeah. They sort of, they look a bit... They're just sort of um, getting ready because uh, we are very, very excited because not only do we have Hilary McNevin yes. in the green room... Yes, um, ...who uh, may or may not be making herself a cup of coffee. We're not sure. <laughs> uh, but we have... Um, Ooh, we got an Uber chef in today, guys. Mm. Um, we sure do. Um, Donovan Cook. Um, technique. <laughs> yes, chef. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a man who comes from the classical French experience, mm. I suppose we could say. A Yorkshireman. Yes. Uh, in a kitchen at the age of 15. And never left. I mean, you look at this guy's CV... Um, you know, the, the, the Waterside Inn, um, cooking with Marco Pierre White, Hard Park Hotel. Hyde Park Hotel. Get it right, mm. Cam. Um, the Hong Kong Jockeys Club, where food costs probably were insignificant. <laughs> just, you, more just, more if white you, truffle? If you need it, just we'll fly it in by Concord. Yep. No Concord, we're recommissioning the Concord to fly it in <laughs> and do an airdrop. Get on the roof, the parachute is coming with the truffles and uh, the caviar. But yes. anyway, no, he's uh, we're here to talk about um, a mastermind subject, um, a protein which can bewilder us and frighten us. I'm talking about fish. Matt, I mm. point to you. J'accuse. No, actually, this is mm. more just a question. Yes. Hey, man. Um, fish. Do you eat enough fish? Do you uh, eat a lot of fish? I think as much as I would like, I must admit. As and in, part of that might as be... As much as I would like. And yes. part of that might indeed be... Uh, what? An inexperience as to how to handle it, potentially. Thank you. So, <laughs> oh, so thanks, Matt. you know, you, you play that sort of game when it's in the pan as to how long do you leave it? Is it done? Is it done? I don't know. Don't how do you it. treat this protein? Exactly. How do you treat this mm. most delicate of proteins? How do you extract flavour from it? Mm. Are you of the, the school of thought that you bring out a sensational bit of seafood and you do nothing to it? except to show it as this sensational, or do you lay it with flavour and technique? Mm. Well, we've got a book that um, that answers those questions, dare I say it, magnificently. The Atlantic at Home. Yes, the Atlantic restaurant in uh, that place across the river on the south side. Mm -hmm. um, what an extraordinary book, an extraordinary man. We're lucky to have him here if you're... Well, let's just let him have a chat and talk about the poisson. Uh, we go, yes, yes, chef. Yes, chef. We're ready to hear from you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's coming up. Um, we'll be going to market uh, very soon. And we have a chat to John, who is just basking in the sunshine, and we fantasize together about going away on a picnic. Oh, really? Yes. Nice junior. day for a picnic. Yes, we skip through the clover together, John yes. and I. Little picnic baskets. <laughs> Uh, yes, there's, <laughs> a, there's a mental image for you all. <laughs> and uh, and later on mm. during the show, he's here. Mm. He's early, actually. Mm. That's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, Sebastian Rayborn, the mm. redoubtable one. He of uh, mixed comestibles of an yes. alcoholic variety, shall we yes. say. And we'll be looking back because there is um, a sporting event on today. You might have noticed that they had this cricket competition, which mm. just groans and groans and groans onwards. It has dragged on a little bit. It's a very long format, the World Cup, yes. and uh, that's coming to an end. And we talk about the evils of sponsorship. Mm. And yet, who would have thunk mm. that the very first visit by an English team to our shores for cricket was actually sponsored by a bar? Really? Yes. Oh. You'll have to tune in for Nothing that one. Nothing new in the world, is there? Nothing new in the world. Nothing changes. Um, I just found an odd spot. I thought it was kind of funny. Mm. Um, funny thing, you don't get the odd spot in the um, the electronic version. 
No, that used to be on the front page of the age, did it not? It seems really and stupid. And it's just gone. Anyway, but anyway, I was look, I was glancing down and I yes. saw this thing and I went, oh, 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 oh I said to Oh, it's an actual odd spot. I see you've taken a photo. I've had to take a photo, photo of, of the, the newspaper thing. to get yeah. it on your iPad. Yeah, that's it. Anyway, so um, let's have spare a thought mm. for Randy Schmitz, mm. 30, who apparently owes his life to his participation in a fiery chili eating contest in Illinois. Mm good way to pass the time in Illinois. Yes. He passed out minutes after tasting a drop of an extreme chili called Flashbang. Hang on, he passed out. He passed out. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. Right. I didn't know you could... The ground came to meet him. Didn't realise chili could do that too. Yeah. Oh. Freaky thing. Capsin. Endorphin rush. Yeah, yeah. anyway. And, he, and, and woke up having a seizure in hospital. Oh, well, that's better. Um, <laughs> an MRI scan revealed a brain tumour, which oh. was successfully removed, and he has made a complete recovery. So he owes his life to weaponized chili. <laughs> Sometimes doing a dumb thing yeah. can have good benefits. 1208-3RRR. <laughs> Matt's got the controls. We're gonna. Are we gonna go to uh, market straight after this? I think we are. I think we should. We'll pay some mortgage and then we'll catch up with John. Groovy. Uh, sound of the market. That's yeah. Sound of contentment almost. Yeah. A nice little happy hum. Yeah, isn't it? It is a nice happy hum. You can feel it. It's. We're at the market, Queen Victoria Market. Well, regulars to the show will be not surprised by that because here I am at the pumpkin. Chopping station with a lovely bit of board over the top of it. I've got John here. He's got sun on the back of his legs. Oh, it's gorgeous, mate. It's good You know, sun. this morning was oh. crisp. Yeah. I had a jacket on which I've flicked. Yeah. And now we're standing in the sun getting warm, warming the cockles of our hearts. They are. Yeah, and I guess uh, we've said this many times before this time of year. It makes that warmth so much special. It's so much more special when you know what's around the corner. Yes, definitely, and Forget we need it today because um, my family's all been battling the flu for the last 10 or 12 days, and we're just about getting there now. You had it. La- you started last week. How's it going? Yeah, I'm getting there. I've run out of drugs now, so we'll see if the body really <laughs> jumps on top of it and, and does the final bit and gets rid of it. Watch out for John when he's out of drugs. <laughs> Sorry, I just- I got mother's milk in a bottle. That might be the next one. Okay, that's the one. And you're waiting for the mandarins because uh, uh, when you do, I saw some yesterday. Yeah, you wouldn't go near them though, would you? No, but no, for one or two nice to, to wet the mouth. Yeah, yeah, it's good to know they're there. I saw some too, and you go, oh, that's interesting. I'll come back. But um, it is uh, the change of the seasons. Uh, John was telling us last week and reminding us the fact that forget the Brussels sprouts at the moment. We need that real cold weather to set it. Um, that was sort of one thing that I took from last week. What, what's been going on this week? Well, this week we're cruising along. Um, we've still got the last of the uh, beautiful table grapes that are coming straight off the vine. Uh, unfortunately, next week I'll probably have to look for some that have been picked and put in the fridge. Oh, really? Um, so this is the last week for... This, this just... is probably the last week. Uh, bananas have come back to dime a dozen. We're 250 a kilo. So some people Whoa, will be happy fair. about that. It is. It is. That's Considering fair. that... Um, they're predicting doom and gloom. They've had um, bad weather up there. They're uh, worried about a virus that's going through. Uh, this so, is the Panama. Yeah. It's a fungus. Yes. So, so we'll we'll deal with what we've got for now. We'll worry about it later, yes. as usual. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely the change of uh, weather. Stone um, fruit are just about finished. Robbie was telling yeah, me last. Yeah, we got late there. late varieties, which you know they're good to look at, and about, that's about all you do with them. Same with the plums too, isn't it? There's yeah, some, some little, late variety plums are like Little that. sugar plums over there, but they're overripe, so probably only best to put into a quick jam or something like that. Quick compote? Yeah, quick compote. Get ready for those porridges we're going to oh, have in, yeah. in winter? A lot of people look forward to it. Unfortunately, not my cup of tea, but it's very good for you. Uh, you've got to be a wee bit of Scott in you too. Yeah, you well, porridge. my grandfather wasn't Scott, but he had his porridge every morning. Did he really? Every morning. That's the same um, as one of our guests who's coming in a little bit later, Sebastian Rayborn. He's, uh, he's a big thing on, may we be all a porridge in the morning. Yeah, well, and if you can do the porridge and add flavour to it, I reckon that w- that's what makes it really, really good. Well, I was lucky. I always used to run away when the porridge was served to grandpas if I was there in the morning. But 
cousin Danny was sitting in a high chair. I can remember he got a big spoonful and flick up against the wall. You know, <laughs> uh, mate, I will never forget that till the day I die. How old were you when that happened? Uh, well, I would have been probably six or seven, and, and you remember been, that? Yeah, yeah. And he's sitting in a high chair, mate. But the the grin and and the beam. <laughs> The beam of the eyes, you know, just, just so happy that he got rid of a spoonful that he didn't have to eat. Yeah, weird thing. Porridge used to make me gag when I was a kid. Really? Well, I'm the same. So I have a problem eating um, weedy things because yeah. um, I don't know if it's my hay fever, but I, I can't eat it. It just makes me gag as well. Uh, and Franca can't understand that because she eats all the cereals in the morning. And I can just like imagine going, what's the matter with you? Yeah, me, I have my what's toast with, with three inches of cream cheese on top. <laughs> yes, all right, well, back to... Uh, so there we go, um, our, our young childhood scouring <laughs> us with porridge. But, yeah, the good idea is um, if you can, compotes are a wonderful thing because if you add flavours to porridge, it becomes good. It's tomato time. What are you showing me? Oh, this beautiful black Russian. Even though it's very, very late in the season for a um, heirloom tomato because of the break of the weather, yeah. this is gorgeous. This has got a little bit of a pink hue, and a lot of Russians and Polish people get excited because their tomatoes were like that back home. It's not a red tomato. It's sort of going more into that pink sort of um, action. And yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And, but this has got a beautiful red hue. And... Um, even though they're ugly, you've got a lot of fissures and cracks in the skin. Um, they're a beautiful tomato to slice up and put a little bit of salt on. You don't need anything else, not even olive oil. That's how good they are. My God, I just shook my head going, yeah. what? what do you mean no olive oil? So just yeah. a yeah, just a, a lovely piece of bread. And they've got a good balance, see? Let's face it. Okay, let's. Uh, here's a theme. Just shut up shop now, right? I'm, I'm not going to do a radio show. Grab a few crew and we're just going to have a bit of a picnic and just go, yeah, mm go and sit by a river or something like that. What would you put in the picnic basket that is beautiful right now? It's a couple um, of these tomatoes and a loaf of bread. A loaf of bread Teak. and a beautiful little bit of cheese. Yeah. And maybe an omelette made with um, um, zucchini and asparagus and maybe a little bit of potato. That's a good idea. Zucchinis um, are just sort of going out now too. Use them up. And even what we call a spezzatino, which is like um, um, a mix of... Um, Zucchini, potato, tomato, um, egg, herbs. Oregano. Uh, oregano. And it's not quite soupy, but it's not quite set, uh, quite set either. It's not a and, brick. That's right. And then you dip your bread in there and um, eat it. And then with the tomatoes and, and then maybe even a little bit of salad after to clean the palate. And that's the thing about... Very okay, basic. And I was, that's what I was going to say. With a picnic, you don't need a whole bunch of stuff. You don't need this... You can, but just a couple things well chosen Definitely. Can, can be really, really profound. Eh? And that's normally what happens Easter Monday because we have the big feast Easter Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Which we'll be doing. We've got 20 people coming for lunch. I won't be here at work. No. And Monday, my family traditionally goes out for a picnic, so you pick up all the leftovers. Yeah. And you might make this little spezzatino uh, with your veggies and eggs and, you know, you can even drop the egg in when you turn the gas off. Put the lid on, wrap it with a tea towel and put it in a boot. By the time you get the eggs well cooked... It's all sort of set. And and that's it. You have a simple leftover type day at, outside in um, some park or forest or whatever. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's a good day for it, folks. And, uh, yeah, if you're going to do it, I reckon today, this afternoon, is a, oh, is a good one. Just in the sunshine, you, oh, no. you feel revitalised. Fresh air. Yeah. There's no smog. There is no smoke. You're right. Try to find somewhere where someone's not playing loud music. I hate it when you go somewhere and either they're playing soccer or footy yeah. or they've got the uh, beatbox going, you know. Uh, come into nature and, and enjoy it. And commune. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't get John angry with us. <laughs> I suppose you'd love jet skis too, wouldn't you, on the beach? Uh, yeah, well, I'm lucky you don't go to the beach that often, but when we do, we uh, scream a little bit and they move away. I can imagine, yeah, don't, don't mess with John on this thing. All right, well, look, let's, um, let's move forward to the pick of the market as you see it today. Definitely Yanka. get some bananas. Yanka, give me the jacaranda. What's a jacaranda? Half jacaranda. Uh, yeah, definitely get your bananas. Now the time to make smoothies and banana oh, cake. And, um, this jacaranda, purple colour. Purple cauliflower. And, yeah, purple cauliflower. It's um, naturally when you grow collies, you get one in a field that's um, purpley rather than white. It's 
sort of half broccoli, half collie. Do you this, call that the bastardo? Uh, that's uh, the one. Bastardo. This one they've propagated, so they've given it a name, um, the jacaranda. Yeah. Uh, it's got a nice nutty flavour. It looks strange, but the flavour's beautiful. Jacaranda, and the reason the jacaranda is the leaves with that purple looks exactly like the jacaranda tree right. around about December, doesn't it? That's right. Now, what yeah. a lot of people do is they sauté this, and um, they cook their pasta, and you get a spoonful of the gluggy water from the pasta and put it through it, and then you mix it through your pasta. Or we like to just steam it quickly and serve it as a a veggie beside a steak or something. You know what I'd like to do, seeing we're going to be talking about fish a little bit later, I think Donovan does this in one of his recipes, is he roasts um, cauliflower pretty hard. And then add some flavouring. I think we talked about this last week. Yeah. That'd be really nice next oh, to some, some just some little gently pan-fried fish. And yeah. We'll talk more about that because a little bit you, later. You get the, the colour, get the texture, you get a nutty flavour, a sweet flavour, mm. and it's something you don't have every day. Done. Which, again, is something different. Two more things, and I've got to go. Yes. Pick. Pick. Grapes. Collies. Grapes. Yeah. Bananas. Beans. Eleven a kilo. But as I always say, a get a handful. They are gems. When you break them in half, you can see the jelly in the middle. You don't see an, an ugly, dry seed. You see a nice gel in the middle. Mm. You can eat them raw. That's how good they are. People have been buying a half kilo kilo because they, they're just calling you. Yeah. Uh, and people have been getting into the radicchio because is that sort of whether we're looking for something different. So they're getting for the sharp lettuce. And if we were Japanese... It's all about mirroring the seasons with what's on our plate. And the radicchio is that beautiful red. It's it's the colour of autumn, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, right? yes. Yeah. And also, you have a salad. And during the summer, you want a salad that's refreshing. You want something bulky. Whereas when you're using radicchio, you probably make a nice, smaller salad, uh, something with different flavours, something to remind you that things are happening. Hand up. Yes. Radicchio salad. Yes. Walnuts that have been just sort of it's just sort of fried a little bit in the fryer oh, yeah, just to warm them up and, and and those grapes. Yeah, sounds good. Those grapes and um, I don't know what's the dressing. Do we go balsamic? Is that too sweet? Just a drop. Yeah, just maybe. Yeah. maybe. And don't forget, if you find the radicchio bitter, yeah. chop it, sit ah. in the bowl for five minutes. A lot of that sharpness will come out. A lot of people love it mm. because it's a good palate cleanser and it's good for you. It's a blood purifier. It's a bit of hurt. How good, say? How good is this? All right, well, look, I'm going to go. Um, we're going to talk to Donovan Cook, who has just released the most amazing book on cooking fish. Can we talk technique? Woo! I'm, I'm going to bring it in. I'll show it to you. Please do, because I love fish too. I'll bring it in. John, th- as always, thank you. Enjoy the sunshine. I'm sorry we're not going to race off and have a picnic together, but hey, we live in the dream, though, eh? Oh, definitely. How can you complain about this? I'm not. Thank you. See you, man. <laughs> Let's eat. Uh, three triple hours of station. You're listening to 1224. Well, we'll call it 1225. Uh, across from me, madly tweeting away, we have Hilary McNev <laughs> going peace sign. Hi, Cameron so Smith. Cool. How are you, darling? Pretty dang good. good. And uh, also, uh, the uh, well, sitting in the middle, we've got uh, Yes Chef. Oh, my Lord. Donovan <laughs> Cook. A very, very good afternoon to you. How are you, Cameron? I'm good, mate. You're going to have to come close to that microphone. Or I'll even bring that closer. Oh, that would sound good, didn't it? <laughs> Sorry, folks. Well. How's that going? Um, Donovan, um, the executive chef at uh, The Atlantic for how many years now? Uh, four years now. Four years. Yeah. And uh, before that, an absolutely what has to be just said is a pretty stellar career at uh, some you're smiling wistfully. <laughs> <laughs> are you remi- are you just being reminded? Oh, when I was in Hong Kong, there was no food cost, so I could get anything I wanted from anywhere I wanted. That's uh, what I said. Yeah, I said that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, it's like, don't worry about it. No, don't worry about it. If I want truffles, I can get them, but I just had to make a decision where I want them from. Yeah. And how much. And uh, before that, uh, and including uh, lots of other places, but a very, very interesting association with... One of the greats of the culinary world, the enfant terrible. Maybe he's uh, just terrible now. He's not much of an enfant anymore. But uh, Marco Pierre White. Oh yeah, Marco. Oh, and him. I, yeah. We go back a long way. You yeah. know, he, he gave me a big opportunity when I was a young lad to come to the forefront and give me an opportunity to be an head chef at the age of twenty-three of a two-star Michelin. So, and uh, there's a fabulous forward in the book where he speaks glowingly about you and and writes very very well and says that 
at the uh, the Hyde Park Hotel. You were his right hand man, and he probably couldn't have done it without you. Yeah, it was like that in them days. I mean, uh, there was about fifteen of us in the team, and we're a young team. And to had to be, wouldn't you? You had to be young. Yeah, I mean, it was like seven days a week in them days. Yeah, fourteen, sixteen hours a day, and yeah. He was the man in charge, but basically I had to get everybody else up to speed, so, yeah. And he did a beautiful little turn of phrase here and uh, that's that's within this book that has been co-written by Hillary, and that's, uh, that's why we've got you here to have yes. a chat, because we'd also we love to have you here. But well, there's this you. gorgeous turn of phrase that's in there, and I may ask, do you mind if I just yeah, quickly trot it out, because it's kind of cool. And uh, you might have noticed a bit of an accent from Donovan, uh, a Yorkshireman, <laughs> and... Uh, uh, Marco Pierre White, channeling his inner Winston Churchill, um, <laughs> said, it, it took a Yorkshireman named Cook to discover Australia, but it has taken a Yorkshireman called Cook to realise an incredibly special aspect of the country's gastronomy. Nice words. Very nice, nice words. Nice I don't have the heart to tell me actually didn't discover it, he just surfed and navigated it, didn't he? Well, that was Matthew Flinders, done. Yeah. <laughs> he, did, he did do maps, and he was he was a damn fine navigator. Oh, he Apparently, he was after the transit. Well, that's not what he, that's not what he says oh. in the uh, Australian test. I just become a citizen, and I had to. Oh, congratulations! I had to pass that. Did you? And you had to what Bradman's average and something like that. And yeah. who discovered Australia? He wanted Captain Cook. Yeah, was that other like <gasps> Mister Arthur. Wasn't it? It was just... But didn't Matthew Flinders circumnavigate Australia? Yeah, yeah, he, he did, and he charted it all the way around. But like, I suppose um, Cook was just the first Englishman that came. And that's probably that's why. It. And you got to remember who was the big power in the world then. The English. Those bloody English. They had the biggest empire of all, so therefore it was Cook who got the kudos. But let's talk about you, and I want to talk about your childhood. You grew up in a place called Hull. Yeah, I grew up in Hull. It was basically cold, and I've only been at Hull. It's cold, windy, it's always raining. Yeah, nice. <laughs> men, are men, <laughs> men are men and women look like yeah. men. <laughs> No, it's not a lot of suntan lotion being no, sold. No, 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 there's no, no problem about the ozone <laughs> layer there. <laughs> yes. Um, so, a lovely place to grow up. Yeah, it was pretty hard. I, I, I'm actually come from a family of fishermen. Like, my, my mother's side were all at sea. They used to f- fish for cod and addock, go away for three to four months at a time, deep sea fishing. And my nana was in a fish and chip shop for, for 50 years. Which was, in those days, it was cod and chips, wasn't it? Cod and chips. Because it was chips. everywhere. It was like oh, yeah. the, it was the passenger pigeon of the sea. It certainly was. There was plenty of it. And they then were, once, they were everywhere. Once we fished it out, we had to go a little bit further, though. We had to go to Iceland and Greenland, and then there was a bit of an issue with them. They decided to open fire on a couple of ships from all and sank them and almost started a war called the Cod War. So the ice, this was a this was a war between. Almost. Uh, this was a war about diminishing resources, and it was about the fact that there was no idea of any sustainability in those days. You just went and just got the rake and just raked them all out of the water. Sorry. Oh yeah, it was all. It was just. It was. It wasn't line caught in any way at all. It just Chuck, you know, ch- trolled with uh, big nets and what bycatch. We used to get monkfish and stuff like that as a bycatch as a kid. As a bycatch, yeah. and it was like, you know, tossed because it wasn't God. Look at this stupid stuff. Yeah, Mon- it uh, looks weird. For those that don't know, in, in Europe, monkfish is a incredible delicacy and very, very expensive. So um, so y- you grew up with, um, with w- inside of the fishing industry, and you've seen that industry being decimated. You said yourself you didn't eat a lot of fish as a, as a child, did you? Oh, no, no, as a kid I didn't eat much because Amy Mother couldn't cook it. That's... Why I wanted to, <laughs> that's why I wanted to write a cookbook they could do at home because my mother had she was a beautiful lady but nah she couldn't cook yeah uh, my nana she lived down a street and at the bottom of her street and before you got to her house she passed two fish houses and that's where they used to process it all and it used to stink so my idea of fish as a kid was, was this <laughs> disgraceful smell yeah. which you had to like hold your nose and run to your nana's house getting and hopefully the smell didn't follow you but yeah. yeah, and dare I say, maybe that is one of the one of the reasons that this protein that we are talking about, this most delicate protein that we have to cook in a sympathetic way, freaks people out. Oh, for sure. I mean, me and Hillary did a, a, a radio interview a couple of months ago, yeah. and we got some statistics that basically Australians cook fish or seafood at home twice a month, which is. You know, for me, pretty frightening because mm. it's really, really quick and really, really simple if you know what you're doing to do. I mean, like, when I get home today, yeah, 
I got to cook four-course seafood dinner with uh, one of my kids who's a chef as well, and he's picked one course, and I've got to do another course, and then yeah. he's going to cook another course. And oh, at least you've only got one course to do. I've got three. He chose one. Oh. But what sort of time frame have you got to make three courses in? I think even to show that it doesn't take that long. Does I it doesn't take long. I mean, if you, I mean, I'm going to be be out there. I've actually been in the shit a bit because I've done no shopping yet. <laughs> markets are open. <laughs> yeah, markets are Queen open. Queen Vic's open. There's Queen some good Vicks, stuff yeah. there. Yeah. Till two. I haven't really. <laughs> he he's chose his dish. I haven't even thought about mine yet. All I know, I'm doing something with scallops, something with dory, and something with uh, coconut panna cotta. That's it. And mm-hmm. he's doing something with prawns. Nice. Well, well, what time are you serving? Yeah. <laughs> Depends on when I get it bought and think about what I'm doing. Yeah, well, the great thing about... Okay, well, here is a great case in point. My mum used to cook scallops, and she had an idea of French cuisine, um, but she didn't have the understanding of the protein. And, and what she would do was she would cook these things until they were like rubber. Mm. Delicious and yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and my mother taken, did as well. But that wouldn't have taken long either. That's the trouble with scallops; they don't take long to cook. No, there's a recipe in here in in your your book that um, you talk about cooking them for thirty seconds on each side. And but the the whole thing about this protein it, it kind of freaks people out because of that. But as you cook it, you really should be gentle with it. Yeah. Oh, gentle as in heat. Gentle as in flavour. Gentle as the way you handle this thing. I mean, like, for instance, when you get fish, mm. as it says in the book, make mates with the, the fishmonger at the Vic Market or the South Melbourne Market because unless you've got a little bit of a knack of cutting, you're going to desecrate the fish. So if you make friends with a guy or a woman at the market, they'll cut it for you. They'll also, if you become very friendly, will get stuff which is not run-of-the-mill, really? i.e., they can... if. If you go to market, you don't see something like flathead. Yes, you'll see it, but you don't see mackerel. You don't see kingfish. But if you actually ask them, they can buy it from the market for the, for you, and you can do something with it. But again, always remember when you're touching fish, dry fillet is always better. The wet fillet or the wet cl- cleaning of any shellfish will actually add the water to the pan when you're cooking, and you end up boiling it. It's um, it's a terrible piece of substitution, isn't it? Especially scallops when you when you cook those and you see all the water come out of it. Yeah, because it's still legal, unfortunately, in this country to um, freeze them with the water content or mm-hmm. sell them with the water content. So what they do, a lot of not very good seafood uh, suppliers will actually soak the scallop in water before they freeze it, and then what you get is a piece of scallop which looks really plump, but as soon as it defrosts and pan fried. You end up boiling in its water. It's not good. So, look, that comes back to um, the supermarket is no place to buy fish. I think we can go tick. I'd say tick. Good. Big tick. Good. good. Because that also comes back to the fishmonger idea. Pardon, Hillary? That also comes back to the whole idea of the relationship with the fishmonger. Yeah. You don't really have a fishmonger at a supermarket. So I think... No, of course not. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Why, would, why would you do it? Yeah, why would you do it? And also, um, the great thing about going to the market is that the um, the prices are better, and um, well, it's just it's just the way to go. But tell us about this book that you've created. It is called The Atlantic at Home. It is a lavish, lavishly presented book, and um, I've got to say, and there's these very moody black and white photos, which which almost kind of remind me a little bit of White Heat. Um, Marco Pierre with those sort of did Dean, you Dean Cambray's work there wasn't it? Did yeah, you certainly talk? is. Yeah, he's very clever. But the thing is, is what we tried to do is um, tie the restaurant into the thing at home because basically all the dishes that you see in the cookbook are simplified versions of what we've done in the restaurant. They're simplified, simplified versions, so you can do it at home. I mean, like the I, I draw reference to, for instance, um, a salmon tartare. Yes, you can do it in a mould. If you want to go to one of these catering suppliers and buy a ring or a square uh, mould or whatever, and you get this pretty shape. But yeah. if you're going to do a family style, just put in a bowl, same ingredients, same system, and then you can just Spin feed it out. out. Take away, chef. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> go, come on. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, a big tab bit. It's all about sharing at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. You know I mean? or, or, you, or you could get Dad just to get the hacksaw out and maybe ch- you know, chop up some Aggie pipe too. That always works. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's a cheaper way to get you. A little chip. Bespoke yeah. ring. And yeah. all that. Only if you've got a dad. 
Well, that's that's true. Yeah, that, that, that does help. The only problem this dad's not very good at DIY, yeah. so I'd probably ask my missus to get uh, you get the saw out. And as as only <laughs> that is a great mark of a great chef, isn't it? The ability to delegate ruthlessly. Yes, you do that now. I want it quick. Come on. But here in this book, you've got everything from um, you know garlic prawns and fish and chips to to a dish, the olive oil confit ocean trout, which. Apparently, it's been 20 years in the making to just get it right. Well, basically, the old olive oil confit started with Mr. White back in the uh, <laughs> early 90s. And Mr. White. Pro- and the problem was, in them days, it was at 80 degrees without a thermometer, just your finger and with duck fat. And hoping like hell that you keep it. No, it was he didn't have <laughs> thermostatically <laughs> controlled stuff. <clears throat> just hoping it came out looking the way it's supposed to, otherwise you normally wore it be out the head on... Got a bit of an oil bath at the same time. I can imagine that. Here, have a look at this chef. What do you think? And Mark goes, I'm not happy. He, sound, he can sound a bit like Darth Vader, can't he? No comment. Okay, moving along. So um, so the great thing is, uh, tell, but tell us a little bit about um, um, Ocean Trout, confit and olive oil. I mean, that's well, basically it came around when I had a, a little restaurant in Melbourne called Est, Est, Est. And at that time, we just had two solid tops and a little half in front of the solid top where we put the oil mm. without with a thermometer. And when it got really busy, we'd move it onto a, a gas burner on pilot and with a thermometer. And for some strange reason, one of the lads let the pilot go out and the oil went from oh. 70 to 60 to 65, uh, from 65 to 60. Not happy. I... You know, give him quite you, a bollock. You, you, you showed your displeasure. I was pretty yeah. upset about it until I took it out, and it was actually a better result. Hil- Hillary looks terrified. <laughs> and she's, it's not even happening. And it's slowly moving away. <laughs> Backing <laughs> off. And I, I, I can imagine everybody probably left the kitchen. There was yeah. no one left but this guy, and he's going, Where's everybody yeah. gone? <laughs> but again, I'm going to die. Everybody duck. We, yeah. took, we took it the next step when, we went, when I went to Hong Kong as well, because I actually had a regulator there. And again, it went from 60 to 50, so now we're cooking at 50 degrees. Better result, longer time. Ah, oh, really? So we do it at 50 degrees now. So it's gone from 80 to 50 degrees in a 20-year period. The only thing that maintains is a cooking temperature, the way we trim it, but the garnishes, the sauces evolve with the, the seasons. I mean, the one in the book is with, like, Provencal artichokes with um, black olive oil, capers, anchovies, preserved lemon... And at the moment at the restaurant, we've got Aura King salmon on with um, cassoulet of beans, chorizo, slow-cooked octopus, fino cherry sauce, and squinning. Good for lettuce. this time of year, isn't it? That's yes. sort of returned it into an autumn dish, haven't you? Exactly. Can I um, – and there are so many great recipes. We've got to get one of these for you, Matt, because you need to cook more fish, buddy. Um, but, you yes. know, things with like – um, <laughs> Yes. Um, classic – Beautiful things like the blue swimmer crab bisque. Um, just actually, I, I, I was reading this last night, and I had to go and make myself something to eat after reading your book. That's it was certainly working for me. Things like the seafood cocktail um, at home, um, a great recipe. Scrambled eggs and oysters, which I thought was just amazing. Read that, and you'll find out the proper way. To, uh, to make your scrambled eggs. They're not coagulated. They should be runny and beautiful. But there's one thing that I wanted just to start us off with, even though we haven't got a lot of time, was the process of doing things en papillote. And I would say for people that are freaked out by fish, this is a really good place to start. I've done papillote in the book and I've done in tinfoil, yeah. which is exactly yeah. the same That's thing. That's cool. Yeah. But different. The oh. thing is, the papillote looks beautiful, and you've got it all stapled, and it's a perfect circle, mm-hmm. and it looks like a professional's done it. Yeah. Take away the parchment paper and just do it with tin foil. Exactly the same recipe, exact same result without the uh, amount of head fuck. Yeah. Oh, here you go. <laughs> Sorry, Yost, there we go. Swear jar there. Um, but papillote, let's just describe the, the technique. Well, basically, the papillote, you, you get your vegetables, put it on a piece of parchment paper or aluminium foil, seasoning... And then your raw fish. Mm-hmm. If you want to be decadent, we've got black truffles in there. We've got all sorts of stuff. It's got uh, fennel, celery, and then you close it up to make a little parcel, airtight parcel. Put it into a preheated oven. As soon as it hits the oven, what will happen? The actual bag or the aluminium foil will start to souffle slightly. The reason why it souffles is the steam 
generated from the cooking of the fish and the vegetables inside. So what you ending up with once it's souffléed to the uh, like a big ball, yeah. you take it out of the oven, it should be cooked. Yeah. Once you open that, all the aromas, the fragrance, and everything which has been cooked and encapsulated into this bag is then ready to eat. So you actually cook in a steaming, braising, roasting kind of thing and mm. sous vide, if you want to call it that, in a bag, all in the same way. But this is, what, two or three you years old. You can do fillets or whole fish, can't yeah. you? Fillets, it's, whole fish. Mm-hmm. You can do mussels, clams, prawns, scallops, anything like that. Any sort of fish anything. in particular? Anything. anything? Like even little sardine fillets, sardine snapper. Fillets. I'm just throwing yeah. it out there. Throw it out there, Hillary. Because I, I Checking do. Checking it out there. I do and often. But, I throw but, it in the, but here's the, the thing, guys, <laughs> and, and for you guys no listening here, Am no I washing up? up? Matt, how's this ticking boxes? Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. And so once you get an idea of this technique of steaming a fish in an enclosed space, the aromatics are up to you. Exactly. And you can go, I'm going to go all Japanesey. Of course. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> you know, you can do that. I'm going to go black bean because I've got, a, you know, a blue eye. You could probably yeah. do that. It'll take of course. Anyway, so that's a good, good way to start. It is in there. Not only do you get 70 recipes... God, here I am. I'm just turning into the salesman of this book. But it is a really, really great book, and I love it. 70 recipes that are here. But then, not just that, as well as having the your pantry list, as well as having your larder list that you should have with all your aromatics and oils and stuff like that, and I love the fact that you should have an array of saucepans. Um, <laughs> heavy give me base, my heavy array. Base. Yeah. <laughs> heavy base. Yeah, okay, I know what well, to get you for Christmas. Well, I can. You, an array. I'm like, uh, let's get Ken an I array. N- I need an array. Yeah. But, okay, let's go to, but let's go to the back of the book now because what is also there is that each one of the fishes has a few lines that are about them that position them beautifully to you and also there is the thing saying no sorry we're we're out of uh, severuga caviar i can just go to the back of the book and i can look and see what can i substitute for that that's yes. a bit of lump fish roll from uh, coles there <laughs> you go living it up <laughs> hey but um but there's there's also some real unsung heroes here that fish doesn't need to be expensive because I can't tell you the last time I bought a piece of whiting because I've had to go and see my bank manager to do that. But the leather jacket is well, an okay thing. Of course. Let's but, but, talk cheap fish but the in, thing in is, the one minute or so we've got left. The thing is, cheap fish. You don't mm. see the cheap fish in the market. That's why I told you all to make mates with the guy at the market or the woman at the market that's mm. in the fish shop. Yep. If you want leather jacket, there is it in the big market, not in, not in the one where you go and retail. You know what I mean? Mm. In the big fish market, you have mackerel, you have you have uh, slimy mackerel, grey mullet, sea urchins, all this sort Horse of stuff. Mackerel. Horse mackerel, nanagai, nanagai, yes. all these all these fish you don't see. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that just one wanted in. to throw that in. I like throwing things in again. <laughs> nanagai is a nice name, or redfish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you could call it redfish or nanagai, which sounds better. But we've got alternative <laughs> names in the nanagai. back of the book. I'm, I'm going with a nanagai, nanagai. if I'm going to be spending fifty bucks on that plate, <laughs> chef. I think um, the name of this book is called The Atlantic at Home. How much is this? Forty nine ninety five. Oh, that's pretty good. Who publishes it? We did. The, the Atlantic did it self-published. Whoa. Um, this is a really, really great book. Where is it, where's it available? Um, you can get it at The Essential Ingredient, Books for Cooks. Books for Cooks. Um, Timmy's got it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Jimmy's got it. Um, the restaurant. The restaurant. It's yes. on, on the website, the, um, theatlantic.com.au. Sell it there. Yes. Um, other bookshops. All the um, special. It's around. <laughs> I've just, just gone blank. Oh, well, don't worry. It's, it, it is. But, um, it is around. We're gonna. Can we put a photo of this up on the web? Why? Yes. Yeah, I think that would be um, a great day. How's uh, Ian Curley's golf swing going? His swing's very good. His swing's very good. It's always good. been very good. I've known Kelly since I was 18, so... Yeah, he's a good boy. He's a good boy. The Avenue and Readings, I'm throwing that in there as well. <laughs> and <laughs> also, again, b- before, we get, before we get the full wind-up, Hillary, you want to take yes. some people and drag them on an airplane <laughs> and feed them and carouse and yes. drink with them, and that's a possibility. What's it's a possibility. On the 24th happening? of June, I'm going on a food tour to Provence, June. and um, yeah, he's right, they're both writing it down. Thanks, Donovan. Write right. it down. And <laughs> he's, he's good, committed to memory. <laughs> And just um we're actually having personal tours through some beautiful wineries of Bandol, a truffle tour through and we're staying in Avignon. I'm sorry, we're staying in Remy Saint Provence, Aix en Provence. Um you get my company. 
Sur les ponts. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, um, and <laughs> you're right. <laughs> this, is, this is great just throwing that out there, but how on earth would people be able to find you and book this? Oh, they can find me on, um, well, they can go to hillarymcnevin.me. They can find it on my Facebook page. Hillary. It's Hillary in Provence is the name if they can Google that and they will find it. Hillary in Provence. Sounds right. fancy. And I'm going to get, get a lot of... Soon with the book. Just take it out of it. <laughs> are, you, are you guys going to, do you guys going to run away or are you going to hang around for a cobbler? I might have a cobbler. I think we might. Uh, I think it's you alcoholic, should. is it? It someone is alcoholic. Did someone say alcohol? 1247. <laughs> we need to get Sebastian in here immediately. Yes, okay. just after these short messages. Fantastic. Hey, look up for my glass over there. What sort of drink you want? What sort of drink you want? Make it a double. Yeah. Somebody else sing? Let's drink. Ah, there's Matt just getting cracking the wood. Yeah, it's thinking drinking time, and uh, and we have raspberries, and we have beautiful <laughs> um, cut glass uh, crystal glasses, and uh, driving the bus, we have Sebastian Rayborn. Good, Good afternoon. afternoon. Hey, Cam, how are you? Good. It's been too long. It has. It's been a while. It's, been, a it's been months. Christmas break. I've missed Summer. you. <laughs> We've all missed you. Um, you're here because uh, you're the man we go to when anything, uh, when we need a spirited discussion or we need to talk about spirits. Sebastian's the one we go to and he's here and we wanted to talk a little bit about cricket. Ah, of course. Of course. That, that great cocktail sport. Yes, cocktail <laughs> sport. Pass me another... No. Yeah, The, the, the reason... The, yeah. re- ah. the reason being, of course, that cricket in Australia was effectively invented by cocktail bars. And, yeah. and this is the, the first time that England toured Australia. It was entirely paid for by you know, Spears and Pond at the Café de Paris to make money, to sell drinks, to promote their restaurant and cocktail bar. And they made a mozza too, something about 10 grand? Oh, plenty. 1861 to 62, the tour went. Yeah. They got them to come out here. And and, and this is also oh, the well, early stages the of the MCG. Hold the phone. Okay. Hold the phone. You've just, you know, gone... All right, first of all, Café de Paris. Café de Paris was one of the great cocktail bars of Melbourne during the sort of marvellous Melbourne era. Great place to get some vittles too. Oh, absolutely. You know, great food. This beautiful um, sort of... Um, two-story space where you could sit up above and look down on the diners below. So it's sort of the, the expensive sh- seats up above and then the, the sort of the regular folk down below. But it was all very expensive. And just to give you an idea, this is w- the time when Melbourne was awash with money. Awash <laughs> with money. And if you went into the Café de Paris in Bourke Street, and I think we worked out sort of where the Target store is. That's right. Yeah, around there. Um, y- you would have gone here and you would have heard... Champagne bottles being opened. And in those days, what would have been open was bottles of Krug, bottles of Moet, um, bottles of Tattinger as well. Um, because and, and Charles Heisick. And, and Champagne and he, Charlie. He travelled to the goldfields to try to say, why on earth are they drinking so much champagne? This can't be right. And he <laughs> sort of came out here and went, oh, my God. Oh, mon Dieu. The streets are paved in mud and the, the bars are, are lathered in champagne. And yeah, that was, yeah. That they, was really what they, Melbourne they was like. They hadn't worked out how to do um, sewerage, uh, proper sewer system. <laughs> but bugger that idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd get drunk too. But anyway, so, um, so we think about sponsorship and sport as being sort of a new thing. But, but new. <laughs> Um, these uh, Spears and Ponds messes yep. um, were the ones who brought them out. And, and they, you know, really kicked it off. Um, it was the first time that it became extraordinarily economically viable mm. to play play sport, you know. I mean, obviously, we know it is nowadays, but it was on the back of that tour that the first paid tickets were ever, were ever issued, and that was actually in Sydney. And the deal was that the guys running it, and this was in... Uh, 1868, I believe, mm. could charge everyone else as long as they set up some beautiful, very nice luxury stands for the parliamentarians. Ah. So, <laughs> so graft also. Changed, yes. you know, Will there be a box then. for us? This is great. Sebastian's multitasking like crazy <laughs> at the moment because we've only given him about eight minutes to make this thing, and I'm, apologies for that. But Donovan was too fascinating, so, yeah, sorry about that, buddy. And you, what you're going to make us a drink... How does this relate so, to the mastermind subject? This drink 
Yes. Was first published in 1862. So when the English cricket team were out here paid for by Café de Paris. Yeah. It was published in New York. But we also think this is this, this cocktail, which is called a Knickerbocker. Oh, it's just a Knickerbocker. Yeah, was yeah. originally with rum, but we mm. think this is the first fruit cocktail that we've ever found sort of written up. And it was originally raspberries, lime. So fruit as in not citrus, but actual you know, fresh fruit going in there as a core ingredient. Yeah. Um, originally rum, but I've used gin, obviously, because for England and the cricket. I've also used it contains a, a Curacao and orange liqueur, so I thought I'd bring one handmade in New Zealand just to... Well, here's one I just had <laughs> hanging around. <laughs> handmade in New Zealand. You should see this man's beauty's collection, Donovan. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what have you got? This is a, a, a special orange business. Uh, no, so an orange liqueur. So orange like, liqueur, like a, sorry. Like a Curacao, a Grand Manier or, or yeah. a Pointreau. That's the ice there, folks. Plenty of... Bombay Sapphire Gin for for the English touch. So were they, they they would have been drinking this drink, you think? Well, it was certainly a popular drink. It was in, around in that era. Yeah, yeah, right. So timing wise, we're spot on. We don't have any evidence that it was served at the Café de Paris, but yes. they should have. And it contains raspberries, and I love raspberries, and they're in season. It's nearly the end of the season, so I know it's, it's great it's time to uh, good time to be doing that, and at their sweetest. And you need to eat them quick. You know, so yeah, why not can. mix up a few? So we've got fresh raspberries, lots of gin, lots of fresh lime juice, a little mm. sugar, a little New Zealand orange liqueur. Yeah. And, uh, and there it goes. Up. And it's actually, like, no one's pretending to make that noise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's Matt when he's hit the... Uh, so pre-recorded sound effect. Yeah. Actually, this is great because you can hear this man go into 16th. <laughs> If he, if he was a musician, what do you think, Matt? That's sixteenth, isn't it? Yeah. One in it, two in it. Oh my God! There's memories coming flooding back. All right. You don't have children doing music at school, obviously. No. No. Let's pour a drink. That's that's looking good. Oh, that looks beautiful. Oh, it's so pretty. Okay, so the how would you describe the colour of that, Hillary? I would, oh, it's um, it's like almost a candy floss pink, and oh, I mean, nice. oh, yeah, it's nice. um, it's got that sort of. Thanks, John. There's a sweetness to it. It looks sweet and inviting, but it's when you say the gin and the orange, I think it's going to have a nice savoury yeah. character to it, don't you? Th- well, we'll soon we'll find see. out. Um, and served <laughs> in these rather gorgeous little um, uh, little crystal things. So, what do we take from this? Here is something that has. Uh, about a, over a hundred years of um, of history, we're drinking it now. Mm. There's relationships to the cricket team. It was happening oh, in Melbourne. So refreshing, and we can make it. Yeah, very easy to make. What happens if we haven't got special bespoke New Zealand orange? A little grand manier. Grand manier. Yeah, 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 that's the, yeah, that's the preferred you, um, sort of dropping. Would you there. have oysters with this? What would you? What seafood would you? Or scallops or something? Would you put a bit of lime on them or something? You want some citrus fruit? Actually, there's a recipe in the book for something like this. Like this, <gasps> and we can add this cocktail. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. We love it. We love. Thank you. And you got the bliss point. That's what, and that's what a lot of this cocktail thing is all about, isn't it? It's I'm about getting that. I'm always a bit nervous mixing in the studio because you sort of you never try stopped to talk you before. and you're trying to never stopped you before. It's always a little bit of lucky dip when I pour them out, and I normally pour mine last and take oh, a sip and go, oh, "Did I did it? Is it all right?" And it's like, "Oh no, we're, we're good, we're cool." But but usually you have a straw, and wasn't it in in the time back in the day that um, straws used to be um, you'd use a bit of macaroni. To sip well, your drink. Allegedly. Allegedly. There's a whole bunch of myth. stories about this where they say they used hollow pasta and they used hollow grass and reeds and various different things before the sort of the paper straw was invented mm. in mid-1800s, I believe, over in, um, in America. God, it's funny it's not come up for in the my julep on this day. For the julep. For the mint julep. For the mint julep. That's a dangerous drink. You know, that's that's a Donovan, Donovan, Donovan there, didn't Donovan. like there his. There we go. That was <laughs> a wow. little top up. Is um, that called a knickerbocker? Is that a knickerbocker? That is that's a knickerbocker. Right. And, um, not to be confused with the knickerbocker martini, which is much later American stalk club. Uh, recipe with lots of vermouth and stuff. So this is, this is the old school glory, Nickelbocker, which is, which is something we, we won't even go there. Yeah, that's right. No, yeah, sorry, I'm just <laughs> faux pas. Sorry. Can I ask a question? If it's got Yo. fresh raspberries in it, if you wanted one in the middle of winter, for it's a very fresh drink and lovely for a warm day, but. Well, probably, do they use you know, frozen raspberries or do you use some, another seasonal <laughs> what, fruit? What they would have cordial. used back cordial. in the day, yeah, cordial. cordial. So preserved. Yeah, and, yeah. and we, you know, we see that a lot. These cordials in old, old recipe books, and often they have recipes for them. And really they were about a thin jam. 
you know, where they, they, yeah, they'd strain them jam. and make a thin jam. So I have so, made drinks with jam, you know, when it's quite late at night and you may have used all your mixes. Um, <laughs> I know, we've got jam in the cupboard. No, we can have a little daiquiri. Use wide Don't stop the daiquiris. And, and we, you know, marmalade is fantastic. I was going to say marmalade. You know, that's been used a lot and it works glorious. No, not Vegemite. I'll, I'll leave that one out, Donovan. <laughs> Another um, of uh, Donovan, one of your contemporaries, uh, another Yorkshireman, I do believe, Matty Wilkinson, who was on the show um, last week. His, his recipe book, a fabulous book on salads. Don't know if you've actually seen that. Yeah, it's, it's very good. It's really good, very, isn't very good. it? And there's a lot of recipes for cordials in that. So that's um, something to think of. So um, what do we think of as we're watching the end to an interminable um, World well, Cup? Well, one thing <laughs> I wanted to mention as well, Cam, since I saw you last, and with Australia going, I guess, hopefully going to do okay, depending on if you're a Kiwi follower of Australia, yeah, but we've yeah. just had the Australian Distilled Spirit Awards, which for me is such an important uh, sort of thing, run by the Royal Agricultural Society. Um, I was you know, lucky enough to judge that again this year and to taste the array of spirits being made in Australia and the quality of spirits being made in Australia, it was it was a, it was a pleasure. Two words, Bill Lark. Yeah, he's just been inducted into the Distillers Hall of Fame. Now he's the first person not living in the Northern Hemisphere mm. to ever be inducted into this. I mean, this is this is really massive, and it's really about not just the whiskey he makes, but he's become the sort of the enabler the facilitator for distillation in Tasmania. It's like, you know, he's helped build the cooperages. He's helped the guy who makes the stills set up his business. You know, he's got a... Everything he does is sort of about, let's just make more distilleries. Let's make it easier to make whiskey in Tassie, and we're going to be the Scotland of Australia. And dare I say it, that it's like about 17 years to become an overnight sensation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, seriously, I, I mean, is, he's yeah. been... I visited years, there five, five years ago, I think, and it was just, yeah. just starting to... Just starting to go. He, he was yeah. the first. He had the first of the modern distilling licences. All right, we need to do some thanks. Um, Donovan Cook um, and Hilary for being the co-writer on this. This is a great book. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, just the basics in the back. I mean, you could have a cookbook having that. Um, very, very impressive. Sebastian, good to see you as Pleasure always. as always, Cam. Always a pleasure. Thanks for coming in, you guys. Thanks, Thanks very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks Thanks for coming. Yeah, <laughs> and get to the market and get that fish. I've got to go there now. Yeah, yeah. Can you please put it up on um, social media, what you cook? We'll be looking. We will be looking. <laughs> um, we need to um, just um, say a big g'day to the Zockmaster, who's about to hit the studio. Coming up next on Graphic Nature. Look at you go. For, Gra- the, for the last time. For the final time, yeah. but um, hopefully he will be back very, very soon. Hey, before um, we go to just one very quick bit of housekeeping. We spoke just earlier about uh, Matt Wilkinson's new book, Mr. Wilkinson's Simply Dressed Salads. Yes. There's actually an event on at uh, Books for Cooks this week where uh, Manny will come in and basically talk about the book and what run you through it. What day is that? That is on Tuesday, this Tuesday. Tuesday. And there's actually a couple of other upcoming um, uh, book releases and chats about various authors and cookbooks uh, at Books for Cooks. So check out their website. There's some good stuff coming up. Yeah, sorry we're late, Zocky, but mm. it's his last show, so he can't really complain. <laughs> ah. um, but then also, um, a, a, a big thanks, uh, yeah, Books for Cooks. Yes. Tim and Amanda, all the good work that they do. Indeed. Um, great to see you all. Thanks for coming in. Thanks. Thanks for the booze. And, uh, yeah, Donovan, you want to say something? Thanks a lot. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very nice. Hilary, lovely to see you. Good luck with the, the trip to Provence, too. Thank you. All right, I'm going. See I'm going. <laughs> This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.